0: Welcome to the Cover 2 Resources podcast series, a podcast series about addiction and addiction education. Our mission is to arm others with the knowledge needed to best support a loved one struggling with opioid addiction. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Music, Stitcher, and via RSS feed. Simply search for the full name Cover 2 Resources on your platform of choice. Thank you for listening. This is Greg McNeil from Cover2Resources. The lifestyle of the music industry has proven deadly for so many people over the years. Wikipedia lists names of over a hundred pop artists who have lost their lives to overdose since the 1960s. My guest today knows that story all too well, having been the lead guitarist for Joan Jett and the Blackhearts during their heyday. Ricky Bird was living the life of a rock star until he almost lost his life. And decided it was time to get clean. That was 31 years ago this month. Ricky now dedicates much of his time to helping others find sobriety. It's my pleasure to welcome Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductee Ricky Birds. So, Ricky, welcome.
1: Thank you very much. Good to be here. I'll always love talking about recovery, man. People have to stop <laughs> me.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome, as it should be. So, I read that you were inspired to become a musician when uh, you watched Ed Sullivan and particularly the oh, Beatles sure. and the Rolling Stones back in the 60s. I can relate to that. I watched those shows myself.
1: Yeah. I was nine years old. And, you know, uh, uh, now that I'm uh, an adult, I, I mean, I just turned 62 on Saturday, right? Um, and I looked back and um, and I could see where I had this um, this feeling of being different yeah, I was I was watching. Uh, well, that was something that doesn't happen anymore. Uh, the whole family would get together on Sundays and watch the Ed Sullivan Show. Uh, anybody over, I don't know, fifty would know what that is. But uh, you know, and it was a great show because it had um, it had a wide variety. It was it was basically a uh, it was a variety show. They used to call it right. So they would have a comedian. They would have like if there was a Broadway show happening, they would have you know, the cast, and then they would have music, and they would have uh, drama, and they would have all kinds of stuff.
0: And Ed was kind of the entree for many of these acts into show business. I mean, if you got on his show, that punched your ticket, and so he had an incredible amount of power. And And Ed was, he was
1: a, he was a columnist before that for years, from the, probably from the 40s. Interesting. He was a columnist in, in New York, and I don't. He had the least person. You know, you looked at it, Sullivan. He had the least um, photogenic personality. You know, you could not imagine him being a TV host. But that's There true. was something. Yeah. There was there was something that that he he knew had a spot talent. That's for sure. And there was a combination. So here I am, uh, uh, and like you said, like the Beatles did their first show there. I think Elvis actually was on the Steve Allen show first, if I'm not mistaken. But most of the British bands, when the British invasion came, they were always on the Ed Sullivan show first.
0: The doors and, were there. Remember that?
1: Yeah, yeah the doors were yeah, absolutely Absolutely. <laughs> um, and and funny how far we've come. They, they used to tell them, like Jim Morrison, I, there was an, back to Elvis when they shot him from the waist up. And, and yep. Mick Jagger was told he couldn't say, let's spend the night together. You know, he had a, made, he tried to, I think he was going to make something up, but then he just, Said now nah, the hell with this, and he just did it.
0: Yeah, and but Jim still, Morrison, me, from, as you say, you know, we couldn't get much higher, right? That was what that's they, right. He couldn't say that. Yeah, he couldn't say it. Yeah.
1: But did he say it? I can't remember. He did a couple of those in the yeah, movie. They it. depicted they, him they, saying, he was probably never on the Television show again. Yeah,
0: that's right. They he blackballed yeah. him after that.
1: That's right. But um, so so I'm just like little kid, shy kid. You know, love music. Um, it felt always felt different. And I see this band on, like, And of course, I love the Beatles. And if anybody saw the induction um, of of Joan and the Blackhearts, this, I said this in my speech. I, I, I'm watching. I, I see. So Ed, Ed Sullivan introduces, um, I mean, and and I love the Beatles. I make no mistake about it. But the Stones had something, something I wanted.
0: <laughs> Pretty edgy. Pretty edgy.
1: They were edgy. Yeah. I just it was more. I was as a beatle like we were all um I, you know i know i know they said you were either a beatle fan or a stones fan I, I liked them both but i i think i was more drawn to the dark side um and that was the stones at least we thought probably the beatles were the same way but you know their image was was different so i watched them and and i saw i saw Keith Richards and the first thing is he he looked like i felt you know they, he just looked like i felt i guess left of center right um, and second, the second thing that hit me was um, the girls were screaming, man. And I was like, you know, this kid and I was shy and, you know, I was like, wow, that, that seems like a perk <laughs> even then. <laughs> and I think the, the the real stamp of approval was after they finished, Ed Sullivan looked horrified. And <laughs> I was just like, yeah, uh... that's it. And, and it was the same thing. And I'll never forget. I was talking to Stephen Van Zandt about this. When I saw Dean, remember when the Stones were on the Dean Martin show, I do. And, and he rolled his eyes like he made really big, like everybody noticed. Like he said something, and then he rolled his eyes. and And I love Frank and Dean and Sammy. Like I, I grew. My parents were divorced. We lived with my grandparents, so that music was always on, and I, I worshipped them. But when he rolled his eyes, I went, "Yeah, that's not my generation, is it?" Ah. And, and that made me aim towards the Stones and stuff.
0: If you haven't seen The Beatles on Ed Sullivan or The Rolling Stones on the Dean Martin Show, take a look. We posted the YouTube links on cover org with this podcast.
1: And literally after I saw them, I asked my mom uh, for a guitar, and her boss that she worked for back then, he got me a an acoustic, cheap acoustic guitar, no-name guitar. It's in the rock hall now. Awesome. And um, And I was on my way, and the thing... You know, I feel like we owe, and I always share this at treatment, like we all, we were all given some sort of gift. It, the, the trick in life is to figure out what it is. Some people can cook. Some people are amazing people people, like they could social workers and, you know, they have patients and, and they love, or they love kids or, um, or they can take a, uh, you know, flip open the car hood and, uh, uh take the engine apart and put it back together. You know, some people could do that. And I mean, everybody could do something, but the trick is we get distracted. Um, and some people never find what their, what their saying was, you know?
0: So you joined Joan Jett and, and, uh, the Blackhearts, uh, before their big break. So, um, it was just before the big break in 1981, uh, where they came out yeah. with, uh, I love rock and roll. And of course that's a theme today. Um, so, yeah, you, uh, you described the journey and the associated lifestyle that, uh, that, that came with it in some of your interviews. I just wonder if you could share some of that with us.
1: Well, I mean, I started using when I was 13, right? I started smoking pot when I was 13. And, and, I, and this is, once again, I'm just telling you this stuff. This is this exact, almost the exact same conversation I have when I'm in treatment uh, talking to these uh, clients. Uh, I took that first hit, and all the fear went away you know all, all the all the questions went away now that's a common age 13 for experimenting and wanting to be different than your parents and whatever the times are i mean it was a, that i was what was it 1971 or something like that so it was like a time for people getting high um and every, if i was with 10 people my friends we were all like listening to music and smoking pot maybe two of us um became uh addicts right had to had the the disease
0: what was your drug of choice if i could ask i I know more but more but but,
1: (laughs) it was anything man i was a garbage head bro Hmm. Uh, whatever it was whatever was out there if you ask me what my um it has to do with the times as well you know in the 80s um uh, cocaine was um you know major major that was a big that was like that was circling the drain baby by the time I finished, but um, uh, pot went along through the whole thing, you know, all 18 years of me using, um, I was always there, Uh, you know, and I was like, uh, well, I was, I I, I never shot up, I never put a needle in my arm, I got tattoos, but I never, um, I never put a spike in my arms, but um, we snorted it, you know, Uh, luckily, I was late to the game, I mean, I did it, occasionally snorted it, uh, but at the end, um, when, when it just happened so innocently, we were on the road and, and my guy comes back and says, you know, I couldn't find any blow, but I got some of this. But luckily, it happened pretty quickly. It, it happened pretty um, soon before I got clean because I will, you know, obviously it's the drug that makes you not care about life at all. Um, so I was lucky and I'm grateful that I didn't get too in-deep with it where I couldn't
0: stop. I couldn't stop, period. So you never got physically um, addicted to heroin?
1: No. Yeah. But I was, dude, I was a pill head. I mean, I was addicted to all pills. Uh, and cocaine was, if I did one, man, I was good for a week. You know, I was just rocking. Mm. I mean, until until everything was gone, I spent all my money, you know, I, I would disappear for days.
0: So living the rock and roll lifestyle that way, you experimented with all kinds of things. Today, when others ask you about experimenting with drugs and they say, you know, you did it and you came through it. Why shouldn't I? What do you say?
1: Uh, it's the luck of the draw, though, isn't it? Uh, I mean, we're losing 70, we lost 72,000 people last year yeah. um, and, and from opioids and another 88,000 to alcohol. So, listen, I always tell them it's gambling. It's like going to Atlantic City here and sitting at the craps table and rolling dice. You roll dice long enough, uh, snake eyes will come up. That's just the way it works. That's life. Life is about odds. You go to the doctor, you're fine, you're fine, you're fine, and then one day you go and they find something. That's odds, man. And the more you keep using, your odds are getting slimmer that you're going to make it out alive. So the point is, uh, and and I know what you're saying because I get people... Sometimes, sometimes I'll be talking to, like, a 65-year-old, uh, and then sometimes it'll be, like, a 20-year-old, right? You know, I feel gypped, man. You know, like, I I, I can't party anymore. And it's like, dude, you, you know, uh, uh, believe me, I, I paid for your sins. You, you're a lucky guy. I got clean when I was 30, almost 31. Yeah. You know, and, and, and the point is, is that um, uh, these days, um, you know we, even though all drugs, we were all doing stuff and 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 uh, any one of those, I could have had a massive heart attack. I mean, my, I collapsed my lung in eighty three like a year after I love rock and roll came out because I was smoking coke, you know freebasing it, and i I blew a hole in my lung, and I was ten minutes from having a massive heart attack, but and we were we were in Alabama, we were on tour. and you know, I was saved from that, but I still didn't get clean until seven years later.
0: This Cover 2 podcast is sponsored by Relink.org. Relink.org is an online research tool that allows you to quickly locate addiction recovery and re-entry resources in your area. It includes everything from treatment to housing and employment. Go to Relink.org today to find services or add a resource for free. With Relink.org, help is just three clicks away. So tell us about that journey back that began really in 1987 when you found sobriety.
1: Yeah. Well, first off, let me just say, some pe- people go to me, um, uh, and, and yes, back in those days, maybe in show business, it, you know, it was more prevalent. And also, you look back, this is an interesting thing. All the people that were my heroes when I was a kid, they were all like drug addicts and alcoholics, even movie stars, Errol Flynn, you know, uh, Errol Flynn was a like cop and dope. In, when he was in his fifties, on like Sunset Boulevard, you know.
0: Hmm. Uh, no, I didn't. Or, or know that. Morph,
1: morphine, Bella Lugosi, uh, you know, morphine addict. Uh, I, I could go. I mean, I can go on and on. You, you see, like, you see, like, uh, like Ava Gardner. You, you watch The Sun Also Rises, the Ernest Hemingway book. You watch the movie. It's, it's Tyrone Power, um, Ava Gardner, and Errol Flynn, right? And it's, it's like at the end of their careers, and they're all like bloated and, and you know, drunken and and pills and, I mean, it gets, it doesn't know what you do for for a living. Um, And it's been around since the beginning of freaking time. Now, is it more, was it more prevalent in show business back then? Maybe at a time, you know, jazz musicians and we hear about Charlie Parker and Lenny Bruce and, you know, comedy and John Belushi. And then, but now I think about it and I I always say to them, um, when they ask me that, I'm like, you know, there were people that I traveled with that did not get high or drink, but I did not hang out with them because there's nothing worse when you're in the depths of your despair to hang out with people that um, are clean. It's just nothing worse, you know. The, and, and you know, you're circling the drain, and they're like, you know, they they get up every morning, they go to the gym, and they walk around the town you're in, they're in. It's just the people I hung out with. So. It stands to reason that the people I hang around with mostly, not all, 98%, that's why I still um, go to community support group uh, meetings, yeah? Because I enjoy hanging around with people we are all in the same fight, we're in this together, and, um, and it just makes sense that now that I'm on this side of the track that I would hang out with people that are in recovery.
0: Next, Ricky talks about the first song that he wrote for an album he produced called Clean Getaway, which is about addiction and recovery.
1: Dude, you got like over 30 years. Why do you still go? And I said, because I, to we'll I prefer waking up to coming too. Some of the songs are right between the eyes. And if, if you are struggling, you will understand the lyrics. And some of them are people, you know, people that are in recovery. So, And I look back at some of the stuff that I did, and I was like, oh, my Lord, really? So that's what that song's about, right?
0: Yeah. It's Sweet. got a
1: line in it. Uh, it's got a line in it. Uh, um, you know, I almost bought the farm. Um, uh, the doctor brought me back. I complained my high was gone and my buzz was gone. And everybody laughs. It's like the doctor just saved your life. And it's like, dude, man, I was feeling so good. You know, and the people mm-hmm. in treatment, they all laugh. Because we all get it, yeah. We, we all we all have different stories, but it's all the same theme. Not it's chasing the feeling of not feeling. How's that?
0: Next, Ricky talks about why he started off the album with "Kick."
1: That was pure business, baby. It's like I knew I was doing a, a specified kind of record, a specific, you know, th- a theme-based. Um, and I, I said, oh, man, it's going to be really hard to get air, air, to get airplay. And the, see if I can get airplay, more people hear it, and the, the message gets spread. Sure. Because one, one of the things I do with this record is I bring a stack of them every time I go into treatment and I give them to the, I give them to the, um, uh, the clinical directors and say, look, when they complete their treatment, give them a copy on their way out. Uh, Um, and, and, but I tell the clients that I say, but you know, you can't leave early. You're not going to get one. Um, you got to complete your treatment. I'm kind of, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm dope fiending them. You know what I mean?
0: That's (laughs) cool. Yeah. Put it out there. A little incentive uh, for them. Mm
1: -hmm. A little incentive. Yeah. Yeah. And and I tell them if if they run out, just find me on Facebook. I'll send them one. And I always do. But, um, uh, what was, what was the, what was the song you missed? Oh, kicks.
0: So kicks. So I, 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 said
1: myself. I said to myself, "I'm gonna have to. I, I should find one really good cover song." And I'm, I, I swear to guys, I'm sitting here, I'm sitting in my car listening to Little Steven's Underground Garage, and Kicks comes on. A, as I'm thinking that, and I'm like, "Wait a minute! This is like one of the first rock and roll anti-drug songs." It was like I looked up and I went, "Okay, I'll do this one." And, um, so that I cut that and then a little Steven, it became the coolest song in the world in January, you know, so they, they played the hell out of it for like three or four months. And, and that's why I did that song.
0: That's well, I pure was- business. It was a great way to kick off the album. That's that's for sure. I mean, so this album, yeah. this album also, the name of is the same name as your nonprofit organization, mm-hmm. Clean Getaway. Right. And you produced yep. it last year, and it's all songs about addiction, recovery, hope, and possibilities. Tell us the backstory about some of the other songs like Sweet Surrender.
1: Right. Okay. So, um, Basically, I mean, even to back even a little further than that, the way the record came about is I started doing about five years ago. Well, actually in 2012, um, I was having kind of, you know, if, if you stay around long enough uh, in, in, in recovery, you know, you'll have times when you're feeling kind of shabby and p- times you're like, get your chest puffed out and you're Mr. Recovery, right? And the only thing that counts is you don't pick up the first one. But uh, you're not going to feel great every single day. That's just the way, life doesn't work that way. That's the one you've got to get perfect. All the other ones are, um, you know, your life, it's like how, how, how wonderful do you want for your life? Because the steps were put in that order uh, to kind of break down your ego and, you know, show you stuff about yourself. Peeling the onion, as they, we say, right? And, then, and build you back up with different thoughts, char- more, different character. So it, how you know how good you, know, you want to find happy, joyous, and free. So then you do this kind of this this self um, uh, self reach, and and not everybody does it, man. I mean, I, I'm I'm sure you go to community meetings, and uh, how many people do the steps, and not everybody does it. And so it's it's like how, how, how there's nothing worse than being clean and sober, and being miserable. It's the worst. So you know, I try to do a lot of stuff in recovery to keep me happy. And, um, so I was going through this, you know, just a little emotional turmoil. And I call my friend in Florida, Richie Supa, who, you know, major songwriter. We got, uh, he got clean a couple of years after me, maybe, uh, maybe two years after me. Um, and we used together for years, man. I know him like 40 years and he's a, major songwriter, he co-wrote Amazing with Steven Tyler and like a whole bunch of other stuff for years and years and years um, and he said come down, why don't you come down to the house in Florida, let's sit around, do what we do, blank piece of paper and come up with something so we came up with the song Broken is a Place which is the last song on the record beautiful song I would see the day. I'd hit my knees and I would start to pray Suddenly, I felt the spark that picked me up and led me from the dark. Could it be God? I recorded a really quick demo, and I, I put it online, which you can do these days. And I started getting messages from people in, in, either in recovery or people that are struggling. You know, maybe fans or you know, somebody that knows me from something. And I just kept getting these messages. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. Like people were going, man, you told my story. And I said, wow, here's here's a weird turn of events. Maybe I could help you. Um, So I wrote a second song. And then I wrote a third song. Uh, And then I had about six. And I kind of reached out to a treatment facility uh, that's based in Florida, but uh, uh, mainly up here in in New York because I live in New York. And I said, what if I came in with my acoustic guitar and, like, led a recovery music group, and I had no clue what I was doing? And they said, yeah, it sounds great. So, you know, my angle is I'm this rock guy, right? So they listen to me. And, and that's the first step. Like, I've got to get them to listen. Um, detox and, and residential. Um, and I when I started playing these songs, telling my story, people started, like, crying, you know, laughing, opening up. Um, I, somehow, I was getting in. I was kind of getting in. And I said, well this is, I like this. Because I know, when I walked out of that room, I was like flying, man. Like, it was, it's complete like recovery stuff. Uh, And then I, like I said before, um, uh, I, I would find out that this one didn't make it. This one passed away, this one OD'd, and I would get very depressed, and I had to sit down with myself and have a conversation. And say if I'm going to continue to do this, I cannot take it personally, and I got to just try to help who, I, who, who gets it. Uh, you know, I could just lead them to the water, baby. I can't make them drink.
0: Sure.
1: Um, so, so I had six songs, and then I started, and you know, I kept writing more. Then I had um, an album's worth, and and every time I finished this, from five years ago, from the first one, they would say, where can I get this music? And it was going on every time I did. Where can I get this? Can I buy this music? Can I where is it rare? I kept saying, I swear I'll do a record. What I found out last week, um, you know, out of nowhere, is uh, we submitted it to the Grammys. Uh, first time I ever did this in my life. Uh, I said, you know what, let me let me join the Recording Academy. So I, the voting for the first, they, they sent out the initial list of all the songs that they chose out of all the submissions, all of the records and songs that they chose. Um out of the, the all the submissions that they get, and they must get thousands, right? Sure. Um, uh, and we, so this is the initial list, that's a ballot, and then um, October 31st, uh, by October 31st, all the pe- members vote, and then that gets nominated, right? So that's the second list, and once you're nominated, then you may win a Grammy. But so the Clean Getaway Record's in five freaking categories. Like, out of nowhere, I just was like, excuse me? Wow. So we're on the ballot in five categories.
0: Congratulations. So that's pretty damn cool. That, that is yeah, awesome. So, that, and it's out of so, nowhere. Huh. You just found this out last week. I mean, week. we
1: submitted it. Sure, we we sure. submitted it. Yeah, it just yeah. happened. But um, so, um, you know, my recovery says, okay, you voted. Stop thinking about it. Just, just move on.
0: As we conclude our conversation, Ricky talks about what's next for Clean Getaway.
1: My dream is to have have a, a tour bus that says, have recovery, we'll travel, and just go across the country and do, you know, events, town hall meetings. Now, if you go to the non- nonprofit that you mentioned that I started called Clean Getaway, mm-hmm. and it's cleangetaway.nyc, um, we are finally up and running, and we're going to start fundraising so we could do the things that we want to do. And that's, like you said, about chin, awareness, um, talking to parents, uh, talking to kids before they start, uh, and then me doing what I do but on a grand scale, like being able to go all over the country, you know, and we're funded so I could just do it for free, right? Sure. And, mm-hmm. and, and, have, and, and, and get there. Like I could go to anywhere. and go to Oklahoma, man, and go to treatment facilities. I could do a tour and just go to treatment facilities with my guitar and just keep doing this.
0: Ricky shared some final thoughts on recovery.
1: And do recover you know chase your recovery with the same dedication and intensity that you chased your that feeling of not feeling and you're on your way um, and 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 you know do everything get the books to read you know get get go to get phone numbers hang around with people in recovery Start do service like find somebody that has if, if you got ten days clean find somebody with five days and say look it's gonna be okay let's go have a cup of coffee that's about self-esteem. And the higher your self-esteem is, the less you want to hurt yourself. And that's, that's the problem we got. We feel so little about ourselves that we feel like we deserve the pain. It's nonsense.
0: Well, it's been a real pleasure to have you on the show today. Thank you for joining us, Ricky.
1: Listen, it's a, it was a pleasure talking. Like I said, all you got to do is say recovery and say go. And I start talking, but Cleangetaway.nyc, there's a, if you would like to read what we do, if you'd like to help, there's a donate button there. Um, you know, you don't, if you donate 50 bucks, we will, I will send you a clean getaway, Ricky Bird's Clean Getaway t-shirt, um, and you could be part of this. You, you could help us continue to try to, you know, to do what we're doing, and you'll be part of the
0: solution. We've been joined today by Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductee Ricky Bird, who was living the life of a rock star, up until 31 years ago, when he decided it was time to get clean. Ricky now dedicates much of his time to helping others find sobriety. He founded Clean Getaway, a nonprofit organization that strives to raise awareness, promote prevention, improve access to treatment options, and reduce the social stigma for those fighting with alcohol and drug addiction. My name is Greg McNeil. I'm the founder of Cover 2 Resources. Thank you for joining us for this Cover 2 PPT podcast. That's people, places, and things making a difference in the opioid epidemic. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Cover 2 Resources podcast. This episode is a production of Cover 2 Resources and is made possible by listeners like you. If you'd like to donate or to sponsor a future podcast, please visit cover2.org. As always, thank you for listening. Together we can make a difference in the opioid epidemic, one life at a time.